You're listening to Unfiltered with Muhammad Uncut, a podcast about personal growth and authentic leadership. If you're looking for tips on how to manage others, get ahead, and make your way up the corporate ladder, this is not the show for you. This podcast is about being of service to others, leading from the heart, and evolving into a better version of yourself. Each episode brings you motivated stories about unfiltered leadership and authentic leaders, those who involve others, use their influence to amplify diverse perspectives, and inspire teams to achieve collective results. If this sounds like you, keep listening. Hello, welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast, and the warmest of welcomes to my unfiltered guest, Rachel Beck. Rachel Beck, thank you, Rachel, for being with us today. Oh, Muhammad, thank you so much for having me. I'm, it's my honor. Well, it's my honor and my pleasure, and I'm so excited to share your story. I, I try to do my best to do homework and learn more about the people who come on the show so that I can be enriched by your story and impact that you're making. And when we share that, that impact can be shared to, you know, with the listeners as well. But I think it's important to give a bit of background for those people who don't know who Rachel is. I'm going to give them a bit of background who you are. Because you really, you know, based on what I'm learning about you and what you've shared with me, you're a voice of a rising movement of women storytellers. You know, your own story is rooted in cross-cultural love story of adoption. You were adopted as an orphan, born in a remote village in India. You're adopted by white American Jewish parents. Your path to womanhood and your loss of motherhood, your encounters with racism, your, you know, your, your courageous and vulnerable renaissance as you define who you are and how you share your stories, that comes through in everything that you talk about. And you, know, you capture your story through, through the lens of camera and photography that I, I think you're going to share with us today, as well as words that are inspired by tragedy and triumph. So to me, that's what makes you such an authentic human being and, and such an unfiltered leader, because if we can't lead ourselves authentically and lead to serve others, then we can't lead others at all. So welcome to my guest. And I'm so excited to learn about your story and what you're doing to make this world a better place. So thank you. Thank you. And I, and I want to start there, Rachel. So you've got a very, very interesting is certainly not the word, but you've got a captivating story. You're, you were born as an orphan. And I know that your parents, there's some mystery around, you know, their death. Right. My, and your movement from India to the States. Why don't you, in your own words, share part of that story and how it has shaped who you've become today? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, so my mom died two days after giving birth. That's what we know. There was a lot of paperwork that was kept by somebody. Um, I'm trying to find my biological father. I don't know if he's alive or not. I know he, they had me very, very young. Every time I go back to India, I unlock another piece of the puzzle. It's very hard to do, but I have friends who are going door to door. And it's also about where I get the information from, right? So I was put into the home of the founder of an orphanage. And I stayed there until I was 11 months old. And I was then adopted. But everything you see me do, Muhammad, everything that every conscious thought I had is about the three women who saved my life, 
the one, my biological one, the woman who took me into the orphanage, she had a choice. Someone brought me to her door. I was extremely sick. She had to put me in a hospital. She was a nurse. I was borderline comatose. And then the woman who adopted me. So these three women, I stand on their shoulders. And there's not a day that goes by that I live up to their legacy. And that, that it's, it's deeply emotional. I actually can't stand um, my birthday because it's really painful for me. So because I, I take my birthday as two days later, my mom died because of my birth. And my, I make a conscious effort to never forget where I come from. So I'm very involved with the foundation that supports the orphanage and uh, parts of the money from the book is going back to them. That I have a financial goal that I'm trying to reach. And I know however long it takes me to hit that number, I'm gonna keep going until I hit that number of the donation that I wanna do. Good on you. Tell me about the book. This is an autobiography, but you spin a lot of emotion in the book as well and in your story. And in just a short piece that you've shared with us right now, I can feel the emotion and what it does to you and what it does to, to, to me and, and to anyone who listens to your story. How does that help shape your identity and how have you come to peace with it? I've struggled with my identity my entire life. Um, first of all, it's not easy being an Indian Jewish woman. That has had its huge amount of, I've dealt with a lot of racism a lot of anti-Semitism. I've dealt with people of, you know, that just don't accept me or understand me, who have been very cruel to me. I've had five racist events since March right now. This month? Yeah, since March. Since, since March. Yes, yeah, since March. So my identity is something I've struggled with. I've struggled with it because I was never accepted. And then America became black, white, and brown um, mm -hmm. after September 11th. And brown people started standing out, not in a good way. Um, kick, you know, I've been kicked I can out. relate. I've been kicked out of places. I've been told my money's not good. I get followed in the stores. I mean, I've had really serious stuff happen to me. Now being who I am, I'm at a point that if this happens again, <laughs> I'm turning on my camera, I'm doing, you know, I'm filming a video and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm emotionally tired dealing with racism, anti-Semitism. I've had a lot of painful experience. I've been kicked out of a synagogue. I've been kicked out by my own religion. And that happened the first Rosh Hashanah after September 11th, where I got there first before my whole family did you know, Rosh Hashanah has a big overflow and I had my ticket walked in and this guy was screaming at me, you know, saying, you look like them. I don't want to say the word. Mm -hmm. And I was kicked out with like 70 people standing there watching, doing nothing. And that was very scarring for me. And it was really painful. And it took me years to walk back into synagogue and I work with a lot of rabbis to have some healing. Wow. And when I did the first part of the book tour, um, because the Jewish community has embraced the book. I've gone in to speak in Long Island, I've spoken in Jersey, I've spoken in Connecticut. And I've told the synagogues I speak in, this is part of my healing, is trusting you again to let me back in. And the rabbi said, you need to tell the story because no Jew should be kicking another Jew out. Right. 
So you're, so, so go ahead. No, it's a, it's a huge part of my identity. And then um, I've battled women issues. I battled right. disease for 20 years. Um, you know, I've been pregnant, lost a child, had a failed adoption. So all that dream of being a, a mom never happened. And then I had to have a hysterectomy three years ago where my identity as a woman was definitely challenged. And I learned, you know, after the process, because I had to do it for health reasons. It was, you know, let me say this, go to a doctor, please get medical help. That's my medical disclosure. That changed everything for me too. You know, would I, would I still be a woman? And yeah, three, three years later, I know that I am, but it was, a, it was a big question going, am I still a woman? So, you, you know, you, you face hatred from the outside because of the color you are inside and people see you, they see you as other, they see you as brown, they see you as not like the rest of us. You face some sort of expulsion from your own faith community, obviously, because I think, again, because of your color. And I know within, you know, I'm Muslim and within our communities, when it comes to the non-white Muslims, you know, when it comes to black Muslims, I'm, I'm, I find it so hurtful that in some Middle Eastern circles, and unfortunately, some Islamic circles, and I say this from a cultural perspective, not religious, that we use words like abid to refer to black people. So abid in Arabic means slaves. I grew up not knowing any different because it was the language that we grew up in. And until I became more aware, and it wasn't that long ago, that I realized, wait a minute, this word is derogative. It's wrong. You know, you don't call people that, right? So some, it's, it, you know, it's like using the N-word. But you don't question it, especially when you're an acclimatized person who's come to another country and maintain part of your language until you realize what your language is and how hurtful it can be to others. So I know what it's like within your own faith group to feel that you're on the outside. Then you've also had your personal, you know, whatever the world has dealt you. So, but you still come across to me as a very strong woman, a very strong person. How have you been able to, have you maybe is the question. I'm making an assumption that you've come to peace. Maybe it's a daily struggle. Maybe you have found peace. I, I'd like to think that you have because I've recently gotten to know you and who you are and what you, how you speak. And I think you have found some peace. But peace doesn't mean the absence of struggle, does it? No. Mm -hmm. How do you find peace and how do you deal with your struggle every day when you're still facing racism and hatred um, and yeah. adversity? It's, it's, I make conscious choices every day. Um, I also had PTSD from a really, you know, a pretty horrific event. I make a conscious choice and I can see those moments. I had moments where, I'll give you an example, okay? The night after, um, I miscarried, you know, coming home from the hospital three or four in the morning. Like it, it was a real miracle because we had done the infertility treatments and, you know, that didn't take. And then miraculously we had gotten pregnant after being told you're never going to get pregnant. And so it was a miracle. Right. And then we lost it. 
the next day and I had family in the house that happened to be visiting, which we were grateful for. I laid in bed and I, I was so, I mean, I was in trauma, right? I was in complete trauma over losing a child that I was told I could never have. And part of me wanted to stay in bed and not get out. I'll be honest with you. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like I just, but then I heard like the voices in the kitchen and I was like, okay, you, you, this is a make or break moment for you. You can either get up right now, go downstairs, face the day, whatever it is, which was filled with love and support, you know, from our family where I can stay here. And I remember like even talking about now, putting my, swinging my foot over the bed and going get up. And that was the beginning of me having to do it over and over again. When I had the failed adoption, when I met a baby girl, fell in love with her and it all fell apart in 24 hours. That was, I remember do like, cause we had to like drive home because I couldn't do the plane again, pushing an empty stroller. One way is one thing, taking it home is a whole other story. But I remember thinking like, I can't do this. You know, it was a long drive back. And I was like, I can't do this again. This, this, this just, I can't do it. And then I was like, you can do this. It might take some time, be forgiving of yourself. And I have moments, you know, when the dates come up, there's, there's, there's triggers for me. And I know now how to avoid those triggers, which I think is really important. And that took me going to therapy, having a wonderful therapist. But I also, I honor all my emotions. Not, not every day is easy, right? Not, not every day is wonderful. I can't escape that freaking question. Because what's the first thing people ask you? Are you married? Yes. Do you have children? You have kids. Yeah. You have kids. Yeah. And so my friends and family never ask people those questions because they think of me and none of my best friends ask people questions. So it's, it's a conscious choice. I, you, there's more to the story that I haven't shared yet, but every single time I knew that if I could, I'm either going this way or I'm going that way. And it's up to me. It's up to me to make that choice. Where do you get that courage from? I mean, what got you out of bed the day after your, and I'll, I'll share with you before I ask the question, because I just have a really good friend who's lost a baby. She had a miscarriage. And it's weird how the universe works because I was just having this conversation with my wife yesterday. And I'm not trying to be ignorant because I know how pain, I, let me rephrase, I don't know how painful it is. I can't imagine how painful it is. But I'm trying to understand that because I saw the pictures that my friend was sharing on her Instagram and she was doing it because she wants people to know what she's going through. And when we share that, not only does it make us feel better, but we tell people that hurting and healing are part of the same process. So I said to my wife yesterday over dinner, I said, how painful is it to have a miscarriage? And we've been fortunate. We have three children. We've never had a miscarriage, but I wanted to get a woman's perspective because I've never carried the life inside of me, at least not while it was forming as a life. And to see that pain, it's hard for me to empathize enough to give the support that that other person needs. Because, you know, empathy is about saying, I know how you feel. Well, I, I, I can't say that to a woman who's lost a child. So, I just, I wanted to share that with you because, you know, when I say to you, how did you find the courage to get out of bed? I'm not trying to trivialize your ability to fight your desire to feel horrible and 
to wallow in your self-pity because you've probably earned it, right? But how do you overcome that and say, I'm going to be strong and I'm going to get up? What pushed you out and what continues to push you when you still go through these moments of difficulty? Well, part of it was getting the right tools, right? And that's something that I've done, that I've been teaching um, people who have miscarried. I am a voice for that. I shared a video um, years ago, my therapist, you know, I had said to her, this is so, it's so difficult because when somebody dies, you have a funeral, there, there's certain traditions that you go through when someone right. miscarriages, miscarries, there, there's nothing in place. There's no closure. She said, okay, then you create a ceremony. And that's, that's what she told me. So actually the next day, um, my sister-in-law, we went to buy a tree. And that is to something- To buy a tree? Yeah, and they planted it. I, could, I wasn't even functioning. I was like sitting on the couch. You know, I went with them, picked it out. They planted that tree and the tree, you know, stayed there. The other, and I pass on these tips. These are two other things you can do. During the holidays, it's really, really hard. So I buy my friends angels for their trees. And that's something you can do. And you just, I've done it for my friends. Where I've just dropped it off and said, you know, here you go just to honor that they had a child is huge. She, um, I also did, and I'll, t I'll, I'll send you the post of the video. Um, to go, I did this and it was huge for me, to go down to a body of water, a body of water that is in motion, not the ocean because the waves come back, not a pond where it's stagnant, you know, not moving. I actually did in the intercoastal in Florida because it's continuous motion. Um, I had some rose petals and she said, take some rose petals, have a ceremony. And I did it with uh, just my parents. My husband happened to be up north. So that was very healing for me. And she said, you need to create the ceremony for grief It's if it's not there. And I've passed this all. I did a whole post on miscarriage and said, if you know somebody, pass this forward. It was very difficult. Um, when I came home from the failed adoption, obviously we had a nurse nursery ready, right? So like my husband ran upstairs, like shut the door. And my therapist was like, don't go in there for a month. And then I ended up donating everything to a women's shelter and the furniture went to really good friends of ours. So these are tips you can do. Tell them to create a ceremony. It's so important, you know, but it's not hard to buy an angel ornament and just say, I love you. I'm thinking about you to be there. Now the mistakes people make is freaking huge. Worst things I had said to me, get over it. You're going to have another child. One child does not replace another child. And it was more painful for me because it never happened. Um, there's a plan out there for you. I always found that really insulting because they have no idea how much planning goes into trying to become pregnant. So there's certain key things not to say. I also tell people what you can really do to help your friend is like, I tell people to deliver a basket. These are the things that help the most, a comfortable blanket, a stuffed animal to curl up with, fun movies, comfort food, some lavender and just deliver it to them and say, look, you, I don't even need to necessarily see your face, but I'm leaving you something at the front door. And I shared that in a post. Those are the things that are going to make a difference. People 
don't know how to react and how to talk to you. And what they end up doing is they don't talk. They don't say anything, which becomes more painful. And as you know, we remember the people who are there for us during our hard times. It's not the good mm-hmm. times. It's the right. hard times. So those simple things. And I did this post like a while back, but it's been in my heart to like, you know, to do another one because I know the holidays are coming. I know it's hard for that community. And a lot of the community doesn't, it's too painful for them to talk about it. So those are things you could do for your friend right now. And it's, it's such like, I, you know, I had people who took me through it. Like they knew I needed, um, you know, like I'm a huge foodie. So like food's like a comfort for me. So if someone did something like that and, and say, you know, but can I, you know, could I, is it, are you having a hard day? Can I send over a pizza your way? Right. There are so many things you can do, but the worst thing you can do is not doing anything at all. And so you can ask, right? Like, I don't, right? We, we can just say, hey, how can I help? How can I be there? And, you know, I, I'll go back to my sense. I, I don't know how you feel, but how can I help? What do you need? And it's like I said, well, I don't need to see anyone, but you know what? My favorite Starbucks coffee might just be what I need right now. So, and and I, you know, and I say that it sounds a little funny, but you're right. Dude. I'm thinking somebody dropped off a basket when I'm just not in the mood to make food, or I'm not in the mood to care for myself. I'm not thinking that I need a blanket to keep me warm. I'm not thinking of holding on to something that just makes me feel less lonely. Knowing that we can do these things, the impact that it has on our body and our emotions is soothing. And it doesn't have to be religious. It doesn't have to be faith-based. It's human-based. And, you know, where I'd love to take this conversation and, you know, how to bring it in, well, what does, you know, what does it have to do with leadership? And what does it have to do with, with us becoming better versions of ourselves? And, well, you know what? Because part of who we are, part of our evolution and our growth and the alchemy of change and how we lead ourselves and lead others is that we recognize we're human and that we have adversities and we have these difficult moments. A lot of the time we show up in in, in our workplaces and we show up with a different persona than we have at home. We shut, you know, you don't know that the woman that you're speaking to that's, you know, sitting across the table from you working on a project just went through a miscarriage. You don't know that she's grieving. You don't know that the, the man who is sitting across the table from you just lost a child or was not able to adopt, right? We don't know these. And I think we can ask permission. How can we help? So whether we're in workplaces, whether we're in our communities, our homes, our synagogues, mosques, churches, that human connection is needed. Right now when we're going through COVID and we're socially distancing, well, we don't have to emotionally distance ourselves. We don't have to, we're not virtually distancing ourselves, right? We need to connect. We need that human connection. So I think to honor, to use your language, to honor our experiences, to honor the pain and the adversity, and for us to climb those mountains rather than carrying them on our back, is we have to recognize that we're human and we will face crisis. Right now, we are facing a global crisis, but each one of us could be facing a crisis daily. And if we don't show up where we're there for others, then I don't think we, it's part of our being human. It's part of being there for people. It's part of accepting and belonging is recognizing that others need that love from us. 
So it's leading from a place of understanding. Um, why, what, what moves you to do this? You know, other than you, it's part of your healing because you take pictures, you do videos, you've written a book about this. Why share your story? You could have closed up and kept this personal. Why have you decided to talk about this? Oh, this is a really easy answer. And something else popped into my head. Remind me to say it. Um, I have a friend, a girlfriend of mine, and she's actually, we actually met in India and then she traveled back and met me in India again. She and I were talking, had gone back to school in 2017 and finished my degree. And she said, she just called me and we were talking and she said, I feel like your story is really compelling and I think you need to write it. And I said to her, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm not an author. And like, I, you know, I did like, I, like, I don't know what you're talking. She goes, Rachel, just do me a favor, sit down just for like a day or two. And she knows me really well. And she said, just start writing, see what happens. The first day I turned on the computer, I wrote for five hours straight. And that happened every day for five. I wrote my book in from like, it was like August to October. I was done, you know, working and then worked with the publisher and the editor. And I called her and I said, thank you so much. And she said, for what? I said, how'd you know? She's like, I, knew, I know your story. Your story is compelling. And she's like, you need to share it with the world. And she said, you just needed someone to plant that seed. So that's what I was doing. Mm. That's, yeah. It's a spilling over of our emotions. And when we, are, when we can share that, we tell others it's okay. You know, so, and you know this, you're on social media and, and sometimes that, what the persona that we put out there can be so plastic and, you know, we only see people when they're happy. You know, we, I, I'll share a story with you. A couple of years ago, I was in France and I was, I think the Luxembourg Gardens and there were thousands of people there pre-COVID and I saw everybody do this. They picked up their phone and, you know, they didn't have a smile on their face and then they went like this. Mm. put the phone down and then the grimace came back and erased the smile and I okay I saw the first beautiful young woman do this and then I saw a young man do this and I, I was looking around because I mean we're all taking selfies in this beautiful garden but I was looking they were all going through this experience of smile for the camera and then when the camera was out of sight so was the smile and I thought holy shit this is all fake because when I open up my feed and I see how powerfully captivating people are and the stories that they're telling and the, um, the smiles and, you know, what they look like, what they sound like. I think, because uh, we all do this, to think, oh, look, they're happy. The Jones, keeping up with the Joneses, right? I don't see the hurt behind it. I don't see, you know, that there's another layer thousands of layers behind it, right? And so we're all hiding behind these multiple layers of, of self and, and who we are. But when we tell our story, when you share your story, we can peel off the layers, we can peel off the mask and become more authentic, become more unfiltered, right? Um, I mean, the power in your story, you're telling others, it's okay. It's okay to oh. hurt. Yeah, and I've done three videos where I'm crying. I did, I had done one, I had written a poem. It was the day after I had a really bad uh, racist experience. I wrote a poem, cried through the whole video. I had two others, you know, where I cried. I'm not, I'm very in touch with my emotions. I don't apologize for them. And said, 
like I basically, you know, said like, please just treat me like a human being. And the tears, you know, I, I just started crying and I was unapologetic for it. You know, I was pleasantly surprised by love and response because of what I had shared. Like, this is it. Like, who you see is who I am. Right. I mean, that's it. I, I, I'm like set in my ways in my 40s. Nothing's going to change. I've, I've been through hell and back. You know what I mean? I've, I've been there. So if people want to know the real me, they, they, get to, they get to know it. Why is that important, Rachel? When we're dealing with, uh, so when we're, when we're dealing every day, online, in person, with people who just aren't themselves, they're not authentic. Why is it important to show up as who we are? And, and I know somebody like you is probably, well, why would I show up otherwise? But a lot of us are not showing up authentically. Why do you think it's important to peel back and become so unfiltered? I think it's so important because I'll tell you why. <laughs> I love meaningful, deep relationships. That is the core of who I am. Everything I do is based on my relationships I have with people. I don't, I want to know the real you. That's who I want to know. So I, I, I automatically have a radar up. <laughs> And I know like who's being authentic and who's not. I know who's being opportunistic and not I'm very, I have all these radars to watch. I just want to have a real meaningful conversation. I accept people for a hundred percent of who they are. I'm not perfect. I have a lot of flaws. I'm really okay with that. And I'm, I appreciate when people share theirs too. Perfection is okay. It's it's part of who we are as human beings. Yeah, like and yeah, and that's yeah. until people really and I talk about that. I'm like, look, <laughs> today's not a good day. Or like, you know, I'll talk I'll talk about it so people know that you can share that kind of stuff. Okay. Not every day is rainbow and unicorns. As much as we would love it to be, it's not. It's not reality. And how do you find that you've become stronger? So you, you, you are, I believe, from what I'm hearing, you're always healing. But I think you're a very resilient person. And how, how do you think you've become stronger that way? I surround myself with really positive, kind people only. I have a core of, you know, friends and family members who pick me up every time I fell that, you know, for them, it was really painful to watch everything. Th that's what has made the difference. And I still, I still, Muhammad, like, I'm in a bubble, man. Like, that's, my network knows this. I keep my network protected from negative people. I know the importance of it. I know what it can do for another human being, that it can empower them, that they're going to learn that positive energy is going to flow forward. Because I believe in karma. I absolutely believe. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, speaking of that, is, is there a quote that helps you solidify this belief in karma? Or is there a quote that talks to who you are? Because you've had a lot of, people could say you've had a lot of negative karma. From the day you were born, you've had a, a tough road, right? But you didn't let that turn into negative karma I think and, and you know listening to you and what you do and you're sharing and you're healing you've turned it all into positive karma so is there a quote that you live by yes it's my mantra be the change that you wish to see in the world and I believe that's gone right yeah. that is my mantra yeah yeah. It, is, yeah yeah that's the core of everything 
if you know i see a lot of things going on i don't agree with it like in the world or just wherever in life and i'm gonna do my part so that the day that i died i know that i did my part in this world to make it a better place yeah you can't look there and say i want that to change i want her to change i want him to change you've got to look here and say change starts with us and uh, you know if we, if we want to see something different then we have to be that we have to change the lens so that we see something different. Um, this is where I get to the um, part of the talk where I ask my guest, is there anything that you can share with my listeners? I call it the unfiltered thought of the week to help them become stronger, more re resilient, a better human being. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking of something. Make sure you know your value and your worth. There are people, Muhammad, I, I, I've experienced it, who are constantly trying to tear us down. They're, they're constantly trying to, you know, destroy our self-esteem. I've come to a point in my life that I've stopped listening to the negativity and that you really do have a choice. I use a filter. You're talking about a filter. I filter out what is said to me. I pick, I pick, and it's taken me 40 freaking years to come to that point where it used to be someone would say the, the shitty stuff people say to other human beings, you know, you're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not intelligent. I I've heard it all. I, I have heard it all. You're a woman. You can't accomplish this. Um, what are you trying to do? I've heard it all. But at this point in my life, I'm done listening to it. And that is where everything changes. And that's what I would pass on to your listeners. Stop listening to the people who are using that, that negativity and that space that is creeping in, into your mind. And to remember that that is always about them and has nothing to do with no you. Cue. So true. You get to choose in that space between stimulus and response, you have choice. And the power of choice allows us to look anywhere around us and say, I refuse to succumb to that sort of negativity. I will not let it poison me. You know, I always tell the story uh, uh, to my children that there's a vampire and the vampire says, I need to suck your blood so that I can live. But if the vampire sucks our blood, then we become a vampire. So I tell them, don't let people become your vampire. Don't let them suck your blood because then you become negative like them, right? So I want to thank you today because you've shared a personal story. You've inspired us that, you know, beyond tragedy, there is triumph. And there's always an ability and uh, there's always a chance that if we can become the change we want to see in the world, we can make the world a better place. So thank you for continuously doing that. And uh, blessings and positive karma right back at you today, Rachel. Thank you for being my unfiltered guest. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All the best. Thank you for listening to Unfiltered, the show about authentic leadership and personal growth. Like what you heard? Click subscribe, share it, and tell a friend about it. And don't forget to leave a rating.